Hello and welcome to episode 5 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. Once again, I am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the beautiful concrete jungle of the Northwest. Um, last week's episode was, you know, a little heavier, um, talking me talk about my depression. So today I think I'm going to make it a little bit lighter and go into something that's uh, another joy in my life, you know, next to horror movies. Um... And that is my my love of music. Um, I didn't really understand when I was younger how much music really played in my life. But, you know, as, as I've gone, I've realized it's all kind of shaped pieces of me. Um, so, you know, like, you know, my, my musical influences are very all over the place. Um, from, you know... You know, my dad, I'd hear, you know, CCR, Three Dog Night, Journey, the early Chicago stuff, back when they had their full uh, full horn section. Uh, my mom was very much um, more of a country, so, you know, I got a lot of Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers and Roger Whitaker and Murray, um, up until you know, probably you know, it, it. She had a little bit more of that taste, but then you'd have, you know, as as much as I can remember, you know, uh, sitting around. We used to have an old record player, and around Christmas, of course, we'd always have out Bing Crosby's Christmas hits, which I still respect. I mean, a lot of fun for Christmas music, but then we also had like a, a Disney LP. But for the most part, I remember, you know, my mom's like Kenny Rogers collection and stuff like that, that we'd play on that thing nonstop. Um, but then, you know, when I really started noticing music, though, would be you know, nine or 10, maybe, uh, we, you know, my sisters who were in middle school slash high, high school about that time. So maybe I was older. I can't remember. It'd be about time. My oldest sisters were both in high school though. I mean, I remember I'd hear, um, you know, like a lot of eighties, eighties rock coming from their bedroom. So, you know, like poison, Motley Crue, lots of Bon Jovi, stuff like that. Um, so that kind of, that, that played a little bit of a part too. I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I, if I, I said it didn't, I mean, there was, you know, like I said, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd hear, you know, maybe Bon Jovi slippery when wet playing. And even though I couldn't tell you the name of every song on that album, it's still, you know, most of those songs, you know, stuck with me. And I mean, hell, uh, Wanted Dead or Alive and, uh, you know, Living on a Prayer are still <laughs> great songs for me. I mean, sure, they're not the most technically proficient music out there, but it's it's still fun. Um, but, you know, so that, that was that. And then I had my, my sister just older than me. I remember at a certain point I started getting, you know, this, this will date the time because I can't remember when it came out, but you had stuff like... Um, you know, Alanis Morissette coming from her, uh, didn't really know or understand Tori Amos coming out of her room for all that time, but that was very, you know, that was kind of there. Uh, Ani DeFranco, which I've never been a fan of, but that's my, that was her thing. You know, I'd hear this, this different music and that kind of opened my eyes to how different music can be. Um, and about that same time, I would have been, you know, I would have been in, you know, kind of seeing MTV back when it actually had music on it, back when it was music TV, not really like media TV or whatever the heck the M stands for. It probably ain't music. Um, but yeah, and that's where I started, you know, seeing some more variances. I mean... About that era, you'd you know about the the time I started really watching MTV was the point in time when you had Dr. Dre and you know Tupac and Snoop Dogg kind of showing up. You know that that '90s rap movement, and that was kind of an an interesting thing. I mean, yeah, I'm a 
I'm, you know, I'm a white, you know, white male and I didn't understand what they were really singing about, but I could recognize the musicality of it, even though it wasn't, you know, still wasn't feel, you know, 100% my thing. But I remember hearing it and, and recognizing there was something different about it. But then, you know, about that same time, you also had, you know, the Nirvanas and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and, you know, that, that grunge movement, which had a completely different feel. I mean, the, the you know, the, the hip-hop or rap of that era was very much, you know, about the, you know, the people that were, you know, what they were going through. And I didn't recognize that, but being where I came from, you know, definitely the grunge movement spoke more to me you know the you know the song jeremy i mean it's all about a kid getting picked on in school and he never really felt loved at home and it caused him to snap and i had a lot of i could say i definitely had a lot of relation with that i mean i was never the coolest kid in school i was usually a little picked on because i was so quiet um so, you know, that, that definitely spoke to me, but, you know, so that, that, that's kind of just give you a rough outline of where, where all my music is. Um, it's kind of like, you know, like gives you a groundwork of where my music comes from. Um, but so I, I guess I'll get into my, my phases. Cause I mean, like I said, you know, you have my, my growing up and hearing music and not really realizing what it what it really meant i just knew it was kind of it felt special but i couldn't tell you what it did um but then you know as i got older you know i'd hear the stuff from my sisters or i'd go over and talk to a friend and he'd put on in excess and i'll be damned if i knew who they were at first but like i could just sense something in the music i started hearing that i'd hear stuff that definitely felt like my thing and I'd hear stuff coming from my sister's rooms or whatnot. And, you know, I know if that, that had some kind of effect or not. Um, you know, it, so I guess it was just kind of this thing of, you know, like I was kind of trying to find my musical identity about this time. And I remember one of the first albums that really stuck out to me was probably offspring smash because i remember i'd heard you know self-esteem and gotta get away so many times on mtv and i really liked that feel of the music so i remember one day you know i'd done some work for my sister still didn't wasn't you know didn't have a job so my my sister bought me a copy of the the cassette tape of it and i probably listened to that thing backwards and forwards on repeat for the longest time because it was just like I loved every song about it. I mean, it it felt it felt angry when it needed to be, but it, it wasn't afraid. It kind of felt like not afraid to show a lighter side at the same time. But you know, so you know, there's that um, you know, ACDC Live, which you know, we'll get into this probably later. I later would find out, you know, that was the Brian johnson years which aren't bad but you know it doesn't hold a candle to the bond scott stuff um you know that was definitely more of the acdc i liked in the hindsight but yeah so i mean you know acdc live uh i remember my sister had a membership to my oldest sister had a membership to like columbia house or one of the the mail order music uh cd sites which god it's crazy to think about those nowadays when you know those that shit doesn't exist anymore but i remember my sister she you know she was just signed up for so there was the whole you know you, you know you pay like a penny a CD for the first 10 CDs. And then all you had to do was like buy three, I think it was like three or four albums in the next year, you know, with your membership. And I remember they always had like a, a pick of the month kind of thing. And if you didn't want that one, you just send it right back kind of thing. But, uh, I remember she needed some extra ones and I can't remember the two. I don't remember both of them. That I got, I remember one of them was, you know, having heard 
Dr. Dre so much on MTV and wanting to know more about it, not really knowing what I was getting into, um, it was about the time The Chronic came out. And I remember telling my sister, hey, if you do, you know you don't want one of those, I'll, I'll throw a couple pennies your way. And she got me Dr. Dre's The Chronic and another one. Like I said, I can't remember what the other one was. So obviously it wasn't a big big point to me but um I remember getting that one when it got there um not really knowing what I was getting into because you know I opened it up and of course all I saw was a leaf on the front of it little did I know what it was and being the fact that I'd only seen it on MTV I had no idea the 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 language involved and the sub how like how the subject matter really was and I remember I was listening to it and feeling like this was something. And at the same time, feeling like I was doing something wrong for listening to this. But then, of course, my mom happened to walk by my room when it was playing, even though I was playing it quietly. And she heard the language. And, of course, she flew off the handle about that one. And then we go on to, you know, she sees the front of the disc with a giant pot leaf on it. And that that was another whole level. And I remember she, she made me give that one back to my sister and I never saw that CD again. I ended up having to buy myself another copy of it later on, but God, I remember my mom was pissed for not having my sister vet that one. I guess she just, my sister just was like open-minded enough to be like, you know what? Why not? He can hear this. Um, so yeah, it would be just kind of slowly, Slowly figuring out music, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, I think the biggest moment, though, for like me to figure out my musical identity, though, was uh, my middle sister's best friend down the street had an older brother. And he was going away to college, or he was already in college, or, or something like that. And he was selling a bunch of his old stuff. Well, he had a bunch of tapes, and... He wasn't going to pack them up, so at the end of the garage sale, when certain things hadn't sold, he offered me free range. And I had heard two or three songs off of the Black Album by Metallica, you know, the the usual ones, you know, Wherever I May Roam, uh, Nothing Else Matters, Unforgiven, Enter Sandman, you know, the, 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 the big hits from that album. But he had the Ride the Lightning tape in there, as well as like probably several others if I really think about it, but I can't really think of some of the other ones I got because Ride the Lightning really outshined them because I remember having heard the little bit I'd heard of Metallica. I'm like, okay, let, let's let's see what this has to offer. So I put this one in my tape. I remember I had just gotten a, a tape player, like a stereo that played tapes for the first time my own kind of thing and uh for like christmas or something like that so i popped that tape in and i remember fight fire with fire coming on and if you're not familiar with the song it starts with like a lute or some kind of like old timey like mandolin or something playing this very like uh renaissance fair sounding music and i'm i remember just being like what the hell am i doing listening to this and then that kind of just carries a note for a second and goes silent. And then it just kicks in with this, you know, kick you in your teeth, thrash metal, as it's I later would find it being called, that just, you know, blew my mind. I'm like, this, this is where my identity lies. So I remember tracking down a lot of, a lot of metal through that, um, you know, there were some I still dodged because I'm like, oh, you know, that's that's not right. I mean, I remember I tracked down everything Metallica I could get my hands on. Well, at least the later stuff, because, like, I had no no idea how far they had gone back. Um, but, yeah, so I started digging into that one and just, you know, I was very... I found the the therapy in it, you know, it was this this music that had a turmoil to it. And that kind of spoke to me being where I was, you know, especially with, you know, like I was talking about last episode, my depression, but you know, and then 
I remember as I was getting older, you know, I I had, like I said, I had my, my metal influences, but then, you know, I started hanging out with crowds that were more into rap again. So like, I remember, um, when I had my job at Burgerville, I worked with so many people who like rap music. So I started getting into that. And I remember I got like, you know, a bunch of like the, the cash money stuff, which shows you it was like the, the late nineties. Um, like cash money, uh, no limit. God, boy, that those ones don't age well. Um, but then I also, you know, of course, started noticing Wu Tang Clan, which still sticks with me. They're probably one of my favorite uh, hip hop or rap groups out there. Um, so yeah, so I remember I went all in on rap and hip-hop for a little while kind of just trying to go with the flow of everybody i knew <clears throat> and while it wasn't really true to myself for that i think it kind of did show me another side of where I, you know of where i you know another side of my musical tastes because you know i found i picked and choosed what i liked and what i didn't like from it of course um but in that era i also you know like i found the psychopathic record stuff so you know my my i you know i i i got into i insane clown posse and twisted which twisted is still the best to come out of the psychopathic to me well them and blaze you dead homie i i can still listen to them and i because i think they have legitimate musical talent that also just happens to be within that that kind of horror hip-hop uh genre um but you know like insane composting in the hindsight you know yeah they didn't they don't age well they're you know i can still listen to like two or three of their albums and and notice what it is they do that makes them who they are but still not the most most uh their musical junk food um which i could put I, I will probably get into several other artists that I really believe are kind of in that that mind frame. But then I remember it was probably about my senior year, of course, was when uh, Follow the Leader by Korn, uh, $3 Bills Y'all by Limp Biscuit, which is still the best Limp Biscuit album, because before Fred Durst really became Fred Durst. Um, but... You know, he, it, and that was when I started really kind of patching back to my, my metal taste. Um, cause I remember I, you know, I, like I said, I discovered Follow the Leader. And next thing you know, I'm buying Life is Peachy and the self titled Corn album, which I still think is, is amazing. Amazing album. Um, there are several songs on there that will always be close to me because they, you know, it felt like Jonathan Davis was singing, singing from my perspective at times. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, those ones. And of course that leads into me finding the band that is still probably one of my favorite bands now, which would be Slipknot. I remember I, um, I'd had a couple of people I was talking to that they were just, you know, they kept mentioning this band Slipknot and how weird they were, you know, it's nine members and they m mixed so many genres kind of in a way. And I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I was working at target at the time and they had it for like nine bucks. So I'm like their first album for like nine bucks. So I remember picking it up and putting that one on. And that was another just complete like mind blown you know, moment for me as far as music goes. I mean, it was very much the same as the Ride of Lightning epiphany, so to speak. Cause I remember I put it in and, you know, the, was it Sick was the first al first song on the album, I believe, or it was either that or Eyeless. I, I always forget which one. I'm pretty sure it was Sick. Um, But, you know, that just, that blew my mind. Cause I mean, here you have this, extremely heavy metal with little influences of rap and 
these weird sample sounds and DJ, you know, DJ scratching and stuff like that in it. And it was just this, holy cow, you know, this is what music can be. I mean, it's not just one genre. Um, and yeah, it kind of, I guess that kind of puts you to where I'm at now. I mean, it's, you know, since then I've just, I've kind of embraced everything very much so into the fact that, you know, you know, in the later parts now, you know, more recently I've discovered, I've rediscovered Chicago and how beautiful their music can be, especially the stuff um, when they still had the full horn section, they had their original guitarist. When the original guitarist died is when they kind of went to the more ballady stuff, which has its place, but it's, it's not the same Chicago. Um, you know, you hear stuff like 25 or 6 to 4, or does anybody really know what time it is, Saturday in the Park. Those songs were brilliant for the way they did it. And then, you know, but then you get into stuff, you know, like I said, their ballad stuff in the, probably would have been like mid to late 80s, wasn't wasn't bad, it just wasn't the same, didn't have the same feel to me. Um, but yeah, so there's that, then, you know, like, getting deeper into, you know, discovering the Beatles. Cause for the longest time, like all I'd ever really heard from the Beatles was their fifties popish stuff. You know, I want to hold your hand and, you know, can't buy me love stuff like that. And I remember thinking, eh, it's just not my thing. You know, I, I'd, I'd see the clips of them, you know, like on the Ed Sullivan show or something like that, where he was just, you know, where they were, they had this, this movement, but I never understood it. Um, and then, you know, it's been a little bit, I've just, you know, I discovered their later stuff and that's where I'm like, okay, this is the Beatles that everybody's obviously talking about. You know, you get into their later stuff and you really hear musically what they were, um, you know, four musical geniuses. Well, some could argue only three and then Ringo, but you know, I, I think Ringo has his place. Um, even if I don't care for most of his solo stuff. Um, but yeah, them rolling stones, you know, I, I would later go on to really discover, which I think is my favorite of that era of the British invasion. Cause I really feel the rolling stones were the Beatles were one thing, you know, they were kind of that they were one side of the coin, but then you had the stones, which always felt a little, they feel a little more dirty, a little more grungy, a little more, I don't know, it, I can't really put into words exactly what, how, but like, the, I, I find the Stones a little more appealing of the two. Um, you know, I, and then I remember um, when I was laid off in 2008 and I went back to college, I remember I had to just fill some, some spaces in class because some classics I had to keep so many, you know, credits per term to keep my, you know, my money, my schooling paid for. So I remember I took a, a study of like the history of music or something like that. And that was awesome. Cause I mean, that goes all the way back to like, you know, the early, early souls and blues music. So I, I really got introduced to some music. I would have never guessed. And that, that class really brought Elvis around to me too. Cause that was another one that I was like, eh, I just don't get it. Um, but yeah, you know, seeing that and understanding what part he played is more important to me than really him, like his music himself. I know there's a lot of people who love Elvis and I, I can't take away some of his stuff, but I just feel that really he's, he he's more important in my eyes for what he did for music, you know, in taking this, you know, the more bluesy and gospel musics of, of the, you know, of the, the, the black people of the time who were really not getting the, the love shown to them for what they were putting out there. And he brought it to the, you know, the majority audience, you know, the, the white audience. And yeah, he changed it and it wasn't the same music, but he made it so that those artists kind of got found eventually. Um, 
so you know from that standpoint he he's got an important part to play musically um but then you know i've also gone and found you know of course i've dug way more into people like Jimi hendrix the doors um and i really feel like i'm i felt like i was stupid for not really you know experimenting with that stuff you know because you know Till a certain age, I was very much close-minded, like, oh, no, this is the only music, the, the new stuff's the only stuff that matters. Why would I go back and listen to that older stuff anymore? And, you know, I really kind of wish I would have gotten back to the older stuff sooner, because there was a lot, there was a lot of stuff buried in there that I was missing out on, because I was being close-minded. I mean, thanks to some video games I've even discovered, it was like, I remember playing Mafia 3, and hearing uh runaway and oh god it's like chase the sun or i can't remember searching that was the name of the song searching by del shannon and there was some or a little bit of uh sam cook was on there and i remember just loving that music that take you know it's from that that era of the you know like just out of vietnam so you're hearing a lot of that kind of stuff on certain radio stations at that in that game and it was just you know it opened my mind to that that sort of music here and there and yeah i mean i just it was an explosion and to to the point that now it's like i said you you get in the car with me and i put on my spotify you never know what you're gonna hear i mean you might get some uh chicago followed by a little bit of cannibal corpse followed by maybe a, a an old kenny rogers t- song followed by you know maybe some tech nine or you know Nas or wu-tang or you know who knows i mean it's like it's just everywhere and i i really feel that that's that's what is me is like i'm this amalgam of different forms of music and I'm never, and I never really stop trying to find more. So, like, whenever I'm talking with somebody and they're like, "Hey, here's this band I really, you know, I really listen to," and I always give them a shot. And I mean, most of the time, it really doesn't pan out because I'm, I'm getting kind of picky with certain, certain genres, especially. But um, yeah, that that's kind of like how I've evolved and where I'm at now. And I mean it, and it ties into also. I mean, a big part of it is. You know, as I've gotten older and I've really started, you know, leaning on music in my harder times, as far as listening to it, I can't play a lick. I don't have a single musical bone in my body, unfortunately, although I'd really like to learn. Um, yeah, it's the feeling, the, the, the way it can play to my emotions. I mean, if I'm, if I'm having a bad day and I just want to get some anger out and I put on, you know, maybe a Slayer album, or I put on some some Slipknot or Five Finger Death Punch or anything that gets that has that punch to it. You know, it it allows me to you know kind of get the the that to control that emotion through that. Or if I just want to be cheered up, I know if I put on some Mighty Mighty Boss tones, I'm gonna be smiling in no time. I mean, it's. You, I can't not smile while listening to the Mighty Mighty Bostones. They just seem like it's so such a fun music. And even if they're singing about a heavy subject matter, it seems like they're they're very upbeat about it. Um. So yeah. So I mean, it, it's so like I guess like the big big the big thing is just like the feeling the the way it can control my emotions or and that's isn't that the greatest part of any art though? Is I mean like if you could. If you, you know, to some people, I imagine if you go in and you look at a, a a Monet painting, it it brings these great emotions. Well, I don't, since I don't relate as much to that, as much as I do, I can notice the beauty of art. Music is very much that to me. I mean, like if I, you know, I can, I can turn on an album and it sometimes maybe it brings me back to you know, where I was on the time the first time I heard it. So like, you know, if I, if I do turn on Kenny Rogers or Oak Ridge Boys, it makes me think of those days I'm sitting around there BSing with my mom and we've got the record playing or, uh, you know, Three Dog Night or whatever. You know, I, w- I, was, I had my, my issues with my dad, but as I got, you know, closer with him, 
you know, those, those songs became a big, you know, that kind of stuff became a big part of me because, you know, it's like for a long time there, I was riding with him and into work and, you know, he, he'd always be on the, you know, classic rock station. So you'd hear a lot of that music when he wasn't listening to NPR, which would put me right to sleep. But, um, when he listened to music, you know, yeah. So now I have those things of like, there's this time where I was bonding with my dad on a 30 to 30 minute drive into work or, what could turn into a couple hour drive home from work because of where we worked and, you know, traffic at the time. But that, you know, that ties into this, these, these bonding moments I have with my dad or listening to some of that 80s stuff with, you know, makes me think of the time I've spent with my sisters when I was close with my older sisters, you know, there was music I'd listen to with them and there's some music I share with my sisters. So, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, like the last time I went to dinner at my middle sister's house and where we turned on a crap ton of like old videos of Chris Cornell, you know, talking, just talking about how much, how like a vocal range he had that nobody really has anymore and nobody really gave him respect for. I mean, you listen to his stuff with Soundgarden, he's got that grunge sound, but he could also have this really tonal stuff like they've, or not tonals sound, sounds bad. He could have this really more melodic stuff. Like, I mean, you listen to some of the, um, audio slave stuff, you'd hear it, but like really his solo stuff is where it came through. So like you hear his version of Billy Jean, which is this haunting, just stripped down version of it or his take on nothing compares to you. Oh my God. It's hard not to like tear up listening to him sing either do either one of those. Um, and I still think he has one of the best uh, Bond theme songs, too, for Casino Royale. I mean, that that song is jamming, and at the same time, it still managed to fit in with all those other great Bond, you know, Bond theme songs. Like, you know, like Goldfinger and, oh god, uh, I can't think of all the names of all the, oh, well, Live and Let Die, of course, which was the... I don't remember if that was just Paul McCartney or if that was the Beatles, but, you know, Live and Let Die or A View to a Kill from Duran Duran. I mean, you had these amazing things, but Chris Cornell comes in there and, you know, I don't think a lot of people really thought he'd be able to hold his own in that situation. Where, you know, you get into like Adele's, which is beautiful, but I mean, I think she has the perfect voice and style of music to fit into that. Um... But yeah, I mean that. So you know, yeah, that's kind of my my feelings on like how they, you know, my my emotions are very much controlled by my music. Um, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, which is kind of what made me want to do this one. But you know, at the same time, if I'm in a really bad emotional state, I need to have music. I can't just turn on a podcast because just listening to people talk won't won't help me in that. Um. So let me see. I got to look at my notes here. I did that one. Um, okay, I, I, here we go. Um, my okay. The the important eras of music to me. Um, this will kind of tie into another subject that I've got. Uh, I've got on my my list of things to talk about here. But um, you know, like I think there are some really important eras to music, in my point of view, that really kind of like set the stage for where we are now. And I, I think the first one has to be, you know, that, that fifties rock and roll boom of, you know, where you had, you know, your Elvis Presley's and your buddy Holly's and, you know, the people that were really kind of seen as being uh, bad for the teenagers of that era. Well, doesn't every era have those. I mean, Marilyn Manson was a big one coming up in my years, which another great artist for the first couple albums. But, um, you know, that, that you don't have that, that first big rock boom. I don't think things become where we're at now. I mean, you know, given that's a, that's a bold statement because who knows, maybe things would have eventually found that way anyways, but it, it definitely started that train rolling. And then, you know, I'll, I'll go to the, you know, the the 60s and the very much you know peace and love era you know your Jimi Hendrix's Janis Joplin's you know 
you can't take away what they do. I mean, that that era was another another great boom. Once again, it was a movement for these younger for this younger generation that they didn't, you know, they didn't 100% align with their parents on their musical taste, but they found this other thing that kind of spoke to them and you know, and that leads into, you know, your you know, your Led Zeppelins and Leonard Skinnerds, and I mean, it just keeps on rolling down the line. Um, I guess that, but you know, I guess the the next to me, the next huge, really musical revolution happens in the seventies, though, when you have, you know, that that British British slash, um, you know, like uh, New York punk era where it was very much a a thing of hey let you know we're we're this generation we're tired of being told what we you know what we can and can't do we're going to revolt and while most punk probably isn't the most uh technically proficient music i mean most of it's three chords repeated but there were there are there are some that got a little bit but a little more elaborate. But you know that was very much a just like in your face movement. I mean Iggy Pop cutting himself on stage, or uh, I guess Alice Cooper popped up about the same time. And even though he wasn't really punk, I think he fits in with that. Where you have that, you know, that kind of. You know, he's doing the huge stage show that's scaring people away. And all the parents are claiming he's satanic because he's bringing Frankenstein up onto the stage. Or he's dancing around with a giant, you know, snake around his neck. Or, you know, doing the theatrics of chopping his own head off on stage. You know, stuff like that. I mean, you had this, you definitely had this this movement there. Where it was, you know, we're tired of what's going on here. We're going to speak out about it one way or another. And that, you know, so you can't take away, like, you know, what the sex pistols. I mean, talk about the ultimate idea of punk. They're for one album and they self, you know, self-destructed before they got the chance to really do much more. I mean in many ways that's like the ultimate punk story and i remember hearing the story of johnny rotten buying up like all the the lost material of uh of the sex pistols and he burned it all or whatever he did to destroy it all and i remember at first i'm like dude that's a that's a dick move i mean you're you're taking away all this beautiful art that might speak to people but then the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, no, that kind of does fit who they are, though. <laughs> I mean, why, you know, it, it was such a, such a anti, was it a, I guess the best term for it would be like, maybe like a, a anti-consumerism thing, which, you know, made sense for them. You know, why would... Why would they make more money on this when it's not, you know, it do, it wouldn't have the same effect, I guess. You know, it would be this this new music, but would it still have the same message to it, I guess. So it was kind of this this really funny thing in hindsight. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I get what he did. He 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 wanted to to make sure that the only thing that was left was this this angry you know, these, these kids that just wanted to lash out. Um, and that allowed, you know, that allowed them to speak their mind that, that spoke to a lot of kids. And, you know, of course then you have like disco, which I'm not huge fan of. Um, I think there's, there's some decent music that's come out of that era, but I'm not going to get into disco because it's never been my huge thing. Um, I think it's a fad that was kind of better off disappearing in the long run. Um, but, you know, yeah, then you get into your, you know, your 80s and the, the 80s movement of going to men dressing as women, having one ballad per per record, you know, and it being about the excesses of life. I mean, that that encapsulizes, yeah, encapsulizes, I guess, I don't know, it it embodies the 80s. You know, the 80s was excess. I mean, 
Jesus criminy. So that that era spoke to you know once again it gave kids this other this other thing of you know kind of just it was its own version of anti-establishment. You know we're not going to wear what you think we should wear. We're going to sing about you know the devil every now and then or sing about getting completely drunk or completely stoned and just having sex with as many women as possible. And I think Motley Crue stands out to me. Like I, I, I'm a huge crew fan. I've got a Nikki six tattoo on me, um, as well as plenty of other music, but, um, musical artists, I guess. Um, but you know, the, the, the wave of, of that like glam rock or butt rock or whatever you want to call it, the eighties hair metal, you know, you had another movement there that was all about just living life in excess or up to, you know, living life to the fullest. But then, then you have that, that movement of grunge, which is another state of, Hey, you know, we're, you know, you, you, you know, my parents have their, their eighties and seventies and eighties music. Well, we've got this thing over here. That's talking about the less glamorous side. You know, we're not, we don't want to hear about going out and partying all night. We want to hear about people who have the issues we have or hear about, you know, kind of something that embraces the, 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 the struggles of that that generation of teenagers were going through. And while I'm not a huge Nirvana fan, um, I have recognized where they've, you know, where they come from. I personally think Allison Chains or Soundgarden are probably the best of the, the, the grunge movement, I guess, even though I really don't think Soundgarden hundred percent fits into the grunge. Um, but, you know, Allison Chains and Soundgarden to me were the two that really stand out in that era for for the fact that they were they weren't just you know, Nirvana always felt like the same thing. Um, I felt like they were that kind of that kick in the door, but then everybody else coming through kind of surpassed them quickly. I mean, Nevermind will will always have its place as a great album in long term, but I really don't feel it's it's as great as say Dirt by uh by Allison Chains or Super Unknown by um Soundgarden or hell I'll even go so far to say Pearl Jam's Ten is a solid record beginning to end. Where with Nirvana I think, you know, I think there's there's songs on each album that I like, but there's also a lot of songs I'm like, eh, yeah, I'd be okay if that one never got played again. Um but that was that was the next big movement. And of course, right along that you had the the side of the the 90s, you know, that that 90s gangster rap or whatever, you know, coming up at the same time. And while grunge spoke to the, you know, very much the white male audience, you had that, that Dr. Dre, you know, everything coming out of death row and, uh, you know, notorious B, I guess B.I.G. would have been a little bit later, but you know, you had that, those artists that were coming out and they were singing about a completely different side of the, the youth and how they were growing up. I mean, they were singing about the stuff they were seeing every day. And, you know, as a, like I said, as a white male, I, I didn't ever experience that. So I really can't, uh, I really can't speak to like what that would do for somebody, but I could see what that does for like, I, I guess I could imagine what that would do for somebody who's, who's growing up in that generation to have someone singing about, or performing music about what they're seeing and going through. That's, you know, that's important. And I, in fact, um, this is where another topic kind of attaches in. I really feel there are a lot of really strong correlations between that 70s punk rock movement and the 90s gangster rap, you know, early 90s rap movement, because both of them are very much about 
you're telling us what you want us to do, or we're being, we're, we feel we're being, God, I shouldn't say that. Okay. With the, with the punk, it was more of, we feel like we're being oppressed in this way. And we're going to lash out about it. Where with gangster rap, it's very much, we are being, you know, we're being singled out and in this way, and we're not happy about it. So we're going to sing songs that are angry about this. We're going to sing songs about the life, you know, they're, they're almost forced to live, um, to, to survive in that area, in those areas at that point in time. And so, yeah, I really feel that that's a very strong correlation of this, you know, like, listen, we're not going to just sit here and take it. We're going to, we're going to bring this stuff to light through, through the music. And, you know, it's just a shame. It was, you know, I don't really ever feel like it was, it was listened to the way it should have been. You know, I think too many people just saw it as these, these people, you know, the, the rappers coming out there and singing about, you know, slinging drugs or, you know, gang violence and that kind of stuff. And they just took it as, Oh, well, these people are, you know, they're glamorizing it. I never felt like they, you know, well, I guess when I look at it now, I don't feel like they're glamorizing it at all. They're just thinking about, this is what I had to do to get through and I'm not happy about it. I mean, you do, I, you, you could argue there are some that kind of glamorize it. I mean, like I kind of feel like too short glamorizes his view a little bit, but, um, also not a huge too short fan. So I couldn't tell you everything about his music, but what I've heard about it, it definitely kind of seems like it glamorizes some things. Um, but that, you know, th- those two movements, I think, are extremely necessary for their eras and defining them musically and defining a, a youth when they needed that voice. Um, so, yeah, those those two very much, to me, are very much tied together. And I don't think there's a lot of people who would really recognize that those two are are so closely linked because they do kind of seem like they'd be so far apart being the the times they came out or the the way they were portrayed I guess um yeah um and you know my my music it it's been everywhere and I you know, like it, and it you know that that goes into my concerts I mean you know, not the greatest segue, but you know, like I've, I've been to, to several concerts. Um, I think my first one that I can really remember and just loving it every second of it was I'd never heard of any of the bands, but I was working at Target and there was a guy that had an extra ticket to the Roseland Theater to see Corrosion of Conformity and Clutch. And I remember we were there for all of Clutch and we were there for part of Corrosion of Conformity, but both those bands stood out to me. Um, they both, like, you know, they both just showed this other form. Like, I had never heard, you know, Clutch, which is a very, you know, in hindsight, like, I didn't realize it at the time. They're very, they seem like they're very political. They've got their, their they've got their messages in their music, but they have a little bit of a rap rap feel to them sometimes but they also have this punkish feel and this like chunky like almost you know like this grungy style of music sometimes but it's it's this but at the same time it's one of those things where it's fun to listen to the the way their their music plays um and then Crozier conformity which is very much like a dude they're they are stoner rock to the core but they are badass like the the entire uh deliverance album is amazing um you know albatross heal my wounds broken man badass songs um you know and i've i've got quite a few of their albums too and i've i've loved what they've done and even i even like the stuff that uh pepper keenan has done did later with phil anselmo with like down the down albums um that very much took what I liked about Corrosion Conformity and took it to another level. Um, but then, you know, I've seen, I, I guess especially getting to concerts that really stood out to me because I really, I, I probably couldn't break down every concert I've ever been to. But, like, I remember seeing 
uh, I went to there. There used to be a station around me called KUFO, and they had every year they had Rock Fest, which would just be this big, you know, outdoor festival. Um, which I really wish they'd bring back, but it would be, you know, just barely a, you know, it'd be maybe a twenty-minute drive from from where I was living, and I remember I saw that the first uh, that the Rock Fest of the year I graduated of 2000 was going to have uh, the Tattoo of the Earth tour, the first and only Tattoo of the Earth tour, which was headlined by Slipknot. And of course it was touring off their first album. I had just found them and was just in love with them. But I also noticed like Seven Dust was going to be there. Um, Slayer was there. Mudvayne touring off their first album was there. Uh, but I think if I remember it, yeah, uh, the, the official quote, like the official, you know, uh, main, main band of the thing though, was, uh, Stone Temple Pilots just for this one show, because like, because it was Rockfest, they had the Tattoo of the Earth tour come, but then they also had, uh, Stone Temple Pilots. And my brother-in-law was a huge STP fan. So my sister and him for a graduation gift bought me and him tickets to go see it. So I remember we were there all day just watching kick-ass metal. And I even found some bands I'd never even heard of that day um, that had an imprint. Uh, one of them being Full Devil Jacket. Um, they were on the second stage. They were just this... They were this band that I had no idea what I was hearing. But, you know, we just happened to be close enough to it. And I heard them and I... I fell in love with their music. I mean, they're very kind of like a post post grunge feel metal and their first album, which I, I believe was just called full devil jacket was another one front to back amazing album. And they never made that one album for a long time. They eventually made a second one, but it was so had been so long and it just didn't have the same feel as that first album had. But I also remember, you know, before I left that show, I had gone and bought, of course, I bought myself a Tattoo of the Earth tour, tour, tour t-shirt. And I had also bought a EP that Full Devil Jack had done called The Wax Box because they didn't have their official full album out yet. So I remember buying that and just, you know, listening to that one a lot. Um, but I remember Slipknot performing that night, that day. And just being blown away by the intensity. Because, I mean, we're out in summer temperatures, which, you know, I want to say it was a good 85, 90 that day. So it's not as hot as it could be, but not really cold. And they're out there wearing masks, full-on jumpsuits, because before they started, like, cutting legs and arms off of certain people's. No, these were full jumpsuits, like heavy-ass jumpsuits. They're wearing these masks, and they are just thrashing that place with with their metal i mean they were amazing they never stopped moving i just i i gotta imagine at least one of them passed out when they got backstage but yeah so i mean i remember seeing that one and oh upo was another band that played there that they were another great band that i thought kind of disappeared after that era but they were another great one that i think played that concert but yeah, like Slipknot was the one that really stood out to me. I mean, they they put on a show. And I, I also remember, you know, we were... So Slipknot gets off the stage. I'm I'm ready to be checked out. But my brother-in-law really wanted to stay for STP. And I want to say they were like two songs in when my brother-in-law looked at me and said, yeah, I can't watch this. We got to go. Because I remember Scott Weiland had come out there. And it must have been a a good day for him drug wise. Cause he just didn't seem coherent. He didn't seem like he was really there. He was almost phoning in his performance to some extent. And it was, it was kind of sad to see in the long run. Um, yeah, he, they, so I remember, yeah, my brother and I was like, yeah, we can go. This is, this is going to hurt me. So to speak. So we, you know, we left, but then, um, I remember, you know, 2001, uh, once again, I was I was getting ready for work, and I saw some kind of uh, commercial on MTV for this band coming up called Linkin Park, and the first album 
uh, Hybrid Theory, I believe is what their first album was. Um, and he's, you know, like they're, they're playing. So I'm like, okay, this, this is an interesting sound. I remember I'm, I, so I go into work and I'm working at Target and they had, back then they had like this, you know, artist to watch section. And they were usually like seven, eight buck CDs. And there was Linkin Park. The week they came out, I got their album for eight bucks and I played the hell out of that CD for so long and they happened to come to town and I'd handed off the disc to somebody else I worked with like, Hey man, you got to hear this music and they're coming to town. If so, if you like it, let me know. We'll go, we should get some tickets and go. So we ended up going and, you know, once again, in this little theater, I mean, you will, you can't see Lincoln Park anymore anyways, but towards the end of the thing, there's no way you were going to see them for 15 bucks a ticket in this little theater. I mean, by the time they were done, it was, let's face it, it was all huge venues and you were probably paying 40 to 50 bucks a ticket. And that would probably be bad tickets, but you know, so yeah, we saw them and Taproot, which was, you know, that was my introduction to Taproot, which once again, first two albums, great for them. Um, they kind of changed their sound after that, which didn't speak to me, but I, I still recognize the musicality of it. But like, like, I remember watching Taproot that night on stage and their lead singer just had this, he had the it factor as far as working with the crowd. So it was really kind of a shame they never caught on the way they could have. Um, you know, uh, seeing some of the concerts I saw with my mom, uh, I remember we went and saw... The Brooks and Dunn Wild, was it Neon Rodeo and Wild West Show or something? I can't remember what their whole title was, but it was, you know, Montgomery Gentry, Toby Keith, Keith Urban, and Brooks and Dunn. And I wasn't a huge fan of of uh, country at that time, but it was something like, you know, my mom wanted to go, and I was intrigued, you know, wanting to, you know, kind of, spend some time with my mom as well as find new music. And I remember loving that concert. Um, but I think there's a little more nostalgia to that one because it was time with spent with my mom. Um, you know, me and Michelle went and saw, we saw a concert at one point in time that was breaking Benjamin. Who's another band that came out of nowhere that I just happened to discover through, through that, that target section as well. And they, them and uh, Three Days Grace opened for Nickelback, which I take heat for this, but I I agree that Nickelback's, once again, musical junk food. They're not, there's no substance, substance to it. It's just, it's just fun rock music. Um you know, they, they got outplayed. So definitely when radio started dying, at least that, that made it a little easier to listen to music. And of course now they're more stripper music than anything, which I find funny, but, um, you know, breaking Benjamin stole that show. And I remember we were really upset with three days grace. Cause obviously the lead singer was not feeling good or it just wasn't a good day for him. Cause that performance wasn't great. And then, you know, uh, Nickelback came on and they put on a great stage show for their, you know, for their musical level. And it was, it was fun. And once again, there's the nostalgia of going to see it with Michelle. And then I remember we saw, um, some 41 open up for Motley Crue when it was the first, I want to say it was the Carnival of Sins is the name of the tour they did. And it was like the first tour they did with all the original members back together again. And some 41 put on a pretty good show, but then when Motley Crue took the stage, there was just this electricity in the air, like everybody knowing this is the first time they've been around this area with all the original lineup. And it just, it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was really something to see, you know, they still had this, you know, it was when they still liked each other. Apparently they at least liked each other a little bit because they seemed like they were having fun on stage, even though Mick was, you know, his, his, uh, Disorder was full on kicked in, so he never really moved around a lot. But that was understandable, and that was really wasn't a big deal. I mean, Nikki, Tommy, and uh, Vince all moved around plenty for him. Uh, you know, the the next concert I got the chance to go see would have been uh, Slipknot with uh, Suicidal Tendencies opening for them, and you know that I 
probably like maybe two or three years before that really discovered suicidal tendencies and realizing what they could do and so that was kind of cool to see plus it was also seen slipknot the first time since paul had passed away which was kind of interesting to see from the standpoint of paul was kind of the heart to a lot of a lot of that band to some extent so it's kind of interesting to see you know them come back out there with v-man on bass and then i yeah then joey was gone too as well so they had a you know, he hadn't passed away, obviously, yet, but Joey was gone. They had uh, Max, I believe. I can't remember. the Jay. Jay Weinberg was the name of the uh, the, the new drummer. And, you know, they were they put on a, a hell of a stage show. But, you know, I I kind of feel that the, the first time I saw him was better from the standpoint it was on an outdoor stage. So they really were wild, where it felt a little more kind of contained when they were playing in the middle of a stadium, but it was still this, this amazing performance. And I got to introduce my nephew to them. It was, you know, me and my nephew going, and you know, he got to see what, what Slipknot was all about. And I remember he, he, you know, he, he had a hell of a time with me, which was awesome. Um, which brings me to like the last major concert I've seen. I mean, it's been a while was, you know, of course with, COVID and everything, it's really hard to, you know, it was really hard for concerts to exist for a while there, but uh, me and a buddy I work with, uh, he was living with me for a little while, and he had, uh, he was sitting out in his car, and we had both pulled in about the same time, we were still on the same shift, and he asked me if I wanted to sit in his car with him real quick, because he was listening to the radio, he was trying to, uh, he was trying to win some tickets or something like that from a rate local radio station. And he didn't tell me what it was for at first, but they were playing an audio clip from a movie. And if you could call in and name the movie, you, you know, you got these tickets and sure enough, it was, you know, I'm sitting here listening and I, I can't remember now what, what part of the, what, what the line was, but it was a, it was a, a sequence from, uh, this is Spinal Tap. And the second I hear it, I'm like, oh, dude, that's, this is Spinal Tap. So I remember he gets, he has that thing on speed dial and just keeps calling. And he gets through. And sure enough, we win some tickets to go see Kiss. I want to say it was that night or maybe it was like the next night. I can't remember. But, you know, we went and saw Kiss. And I remember for the longest time, I thought they were just kind of, eh, it's not my thing, blah, blah, blah. Well, Seeing that show, I completely came around to to who they are. I mean, they're you know you you have to see them live to fully appreciate Kiss. I mean, yeah, you have you know uh, Gene Simmons, who's hard to really kind of like as a person because he's very you know he makes it very clear it's all about his money. But um, that show was awesome. I mean, they put on a hell of a stage show, and you know it's. It was it was great. So like you know that that opened my eyes to respect for Kiss. Um, and that you know there's been some concerts I've wanted to try to make it to, but of course most of them just you know with my work schedule it really doesn't work out because like I know I really wanted to go see uh, Lamb of God and Megadeth came to town a little while ago, and I really wanted to see that one. I think Trivium was on that bill, too, and I really would have loved to have seen Trivium, Trivium and Lamb of God. Um, Megadeth, not so much only because I really feel Dave Mustaine has kind of lost a lot of what he once had um, vocally, and, you know, it's not even half of what the, you know, it's probably he's the only original member of the band there anymore anyways. Um but yeah, so, you know, like I want to get out to more concerts and I plan on to it eventually. Like if Slipknot comes to town again, I'll probably go see them. Ooh, I saw a Five Finger Death Punch at one point in time with 6AM opened for them, which is another Nikki Six Side project, which they put on a hell of a performance. I really liked what they did as as a band. Like they put on they put on a really good performance. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the, that's kind of like my musical, Oh, um, 
And then because of a fair we have locally, we've had a couple good, I've seen a couple good bands because of that. I remember we got uh, really good tickets to see Queensryche there just before Jeff Tate left. And that one was was great. But that was also fun because my mother-in-law was with us and she's a huge Queensryche fan. So to watch her see this band that was a big thing to her play added a little extra kick to that concert on top of the fact that I really didn't feel like they were missing a single step in that concert. Like Jeff Tate was on fire. The whole band seemed like they were good. And then a couple years ago, saw Pat Benatar, which doesn't sound like it should be a good, probably doesn't sound like it would be a good show, but man, she's, she still puts on a hell of a concert. So, um, yeah, Pat Benatar is not one to sleep on if you get the chance to see her in my per, from my perspective. But, you know, I, I guess that kind of wraps up my, my, my musical journey, I guess, of life. Um, as well as just kind of my, my thoughts on, you know, my random thoughts on different genres of music. Um... So yeah, so I guess I'll just I'll wrap it up here and just say, you know, if you if you want to contact me with any comments, questions, or ideas for topics, um, you can reach me at my email, standstrongcast at gmail.com. Um so yeah, that, and oh I guess I'll do that as usual. I'll thank you for listening. I wanna thank Spider, my tattoo artist, for my artwork once again. And I will also thank everybody who has my back and supports me, whether it be, you know, just cheering me on, uh, listening to it and giving me feedback, or just listening to me and starting conversations with me. Um, I have a couple friends that have listened and started having conversations with me about certain things. Um, So, yeah, thank you, and... I I hope to see you again in next episode.